Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Boxes, ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, May 13th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Obviously, things sounding a little bit different here today. Don't have my usual podcasting recording equipment with me, so doing the best I can here with my laptop and my phone on a Skype call, so my apologies for the sound quality here for today's show, but did want to get something out to you. I know the last time I was out of town, I wasn't able to get you a show so I want to make sure I did that here today. Don't have any editing capability either because I don't have the correct laptop with me. So uh, just kind of a mess here with things as we do this Thursday show. But like I said, wanted to make sure that I got something out to you here. My MLB betting article, the daily piece, will return next week over at ATS.io. In the meantime, lots of great content for you to check out over there at the website. So make sure that you do that. Check out Brian Blessing's videos over on our ATS YouTube page as well. Put up a Freakness Stakes preview on, or yesterday, I should say. Uh, so you can check that out over there at our ATS YouTube page. And make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. A bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, a lot of good stuff, a lot of bells and whistles and handicapping tools in that app for you to check out. So make sure you take a look at that. As I said, don't have my usual equipment with me today, so hopefully everything sounds all right here with today's show uh you know again kind of making the best of a tough situation here with what i've got going on so hopefully everything coming across free and clear here on today's show hopefully no major audio hiccups uh and of course as i said no editing capabilities so this is going to be whatever it sounds like here for today's show but we'll go ahead and do the traditional format for this thursday edition of the betters box take a look beyond the box score to start things off talk about some sabermetric stats of the show Talk about some line movements we've seen here recently, a pick for Thursday night's action, and then I preview three series here for the weekend ahead. So one of the things I want to talk about on today's show, something a little bit more static in nature, and again, uh, you know, not the easiest week for me to be doing things, but still want to make sure I got to show out to you here. A lot of times I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, taking a look at betting a first five or betting a full game. Now, when you talk about first five betting, especially if it's a high-profile starting pitcher, you wind up paying some extra juice to play that first five as opposed to playing the full game. And also, too, if you've got a team with a bad bullpen, that's another situation here where you'll wind up paying a little bit extra with that first five bet. And, you know, a lot of people kind of like the first five thing because everybody remembers the bad bullpen beats. You know, nobody remembers when the bullpen holds holds up its position does the job, wins the game for the team. Everybody just remembers those massive bullpen blowups and then thinks back and wishes that they would have played the first five. So here are some of the considerations that go through my mind uh, when I'm looking between a first five or a full game bet. And first, as I mentioned already, is it worth the extra juice? Is it worth paying sometimes another 10 or 15 cents to take that first five instead of the full game? You know, that's kind of a case-by-case -case basis. It's kind of a bailout answer a little bit. But 
there are some deciding factors that I have as I look through to determine whether or not I want to go first five or full game. The starting pitcher's time through the order splits are pretty important to me when I look at that. You know, does a pitcher struggle more a second and a third time through the order? And this is something where we've kind of seen the, the dynamics of run scoring change a little bit here for this season and really for last season as well, where for about 10 years in a row, the first inning was actually the highest scoring inning of all because you get that starting pitcher. He's trying to settle in. He's facing the top of the order, all of that. This year, the third inning, actually the highest, I believe. I believe the fifth inning is second uh, based on what I was looking at yesterday. I could be wrong with that. It could be the first inning that's second. But either way, the third and the fifth innings have been good innings for scoring. And a lot of that has to do with this times through the order split. So that is something that you want to factor into your handicap, particularly if you're torn a little bit between the first five or the full game. Primarily, though, for me, it's about bullpen usage. You know, are the relievers rested and ready? Are the primary guys in high leverage spots going to be able to come out there and pitch? Because when you think about it, look, whether you're betting a first five or you're betting a full game, you like that team. You expect that team to have the lead, which means that if they have the lead and it's not by a very comfortable margin, they're going to need their highest leverage relief pitchers in that game. So it's one of those things you think about in, in the case of the Milwaukee Brewers, for example, if Josh Hader and Devin Williams are not available, I'm not betting a full game with Milwaukee. I'll bet a first five, but I'm not betting a full game with the Brewers. The Indians have a pretty deep bullpen. But if James Karinchak and Emmanuel Class A are not available, then it's very difficult to bet an Indians full game. Even though, you know, Brian Shaw's pitched well and some of these other guys like Phil Maton have really good stuff, still, you want to make sure that all hands are on deck with the bullpen. And in particular, bad bullpens. Because bad bullpens are usually bad because they don't have a lot of depth. Generally speaking, the closer, you know, the setup man, the fireman, those guys that pitch in the really high leverage situations – those guys are usually pretty good on just about every team. So if you're betting you know, a team that's not very good, doesn't have a great bullpen like in Arizona, for example, you know, I want to know who's available. I want to know who I can trust out there in the back end of games to try and shut things down. So that's something you always want to take a look at here in terms of the bullpen usage. And then general bullpen strength as well. You know, If the starting pitcher runs into a pitch count situation, uh, if it's a starting pitcher that's a five-and-fly type of guy just naturally by trade, what does the overall strength of that bullpen look like? You know, will they be able to piece together the fifth and the sixth innings before getting to those higher leverage relievers down the line? So a lot of bullpen considerations come into play for me with regards to first five and full game betting. And it is a situation where, you know, again, to use the Brewers example, I'll lay an extra 10 or 15 cents if I like Brandon Woodruff or Corbin, Corbin Burns, something like that, for the first five, if Hayter and Williams aren't available. So I think it's a really big, important piece of the equation. And look, as I said, you know, a lot of people like to bet first fives because you know, then you don't worry about uh, bullpen mishaps and, and things like that. But here's the thing that you need to know. Teams with a lead after five innings this season are winning 83% of the time. And when you look at the actual records for these teams, and I'll roll through these very, very quickly here. And if you subscribe to the Betters Box Notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com, you'll be able to see all of this uh, from today's show. But Baltimore, 11 and 2 with a lead after five innings. Boston, 14 and 3. New York, 13 and 4. Tampa Bay, 9 and 3. Toronto, 13 and 1. 
The White Sox, as we move to the AL Central here, 18 and 4. Indians, 10 and 1. Detroit, 8 and 3. Kansas City, 11 and 3. Minnesota, 10 and 5. Houston, 15 and 3. The Angels, 12 and 4. Oakland is a perfect 14 and 0. The Mariners, 9 and 5. The Rangers, 10 and 3. So as we look through the American League, again, league average 83%. Some teams above that, some teams below that. But the primary takeaway here is that for the most part, these teams that have a lead after five innings are going to go ahead and win that game. So that's where the price thing kind of comes into play. If you think that the team's going to be ahead after five innings, well, on average, they're winning that game 83% of the time. So is that worth giving up you know, the extra 10 or 12 or 15 cents on that number, something like that? Because keep in mind, you'll find sports books that have dime lines for the full game. You know, plus 110 on the underdog, minus 120 on the favorite, plus 120 on the dog, minus 130 on the favorite. Those are called dime lines. You don't really get dime lines with first fives. You get a lot of 15 cent lines, sometimes 20 cent lines. You'll get a much higher spread on that price. So that's why you really need to consider all of the factors here and decide if it's worth giving up that 10, 15, 20 cents on a game just because you're worried about avoiding the bullpen when in reality, Teams win 83% of the time with a lead after five innings. Sorting through the National League records here with a lead after five, Atlanta 13-3, Miami 10-2, the Mets 13-1, the Phillies 13-2, Washington 8-0, the Cubs are 12-1, Reds 11-2, Brewers 13-2, Pirates 12-1, the Cardinals' best record in baseball with a lead after five innings at 18-0. Arizona 14 and 3, Colorado 8 and 4. They're one of the worst in baseball in this department. Dodgers 14 and 2, Padres 12 and 2, Giants 16 and 4. So again, all of these teams for the most part, Seattle one of the exceptions, also Colorado one of the exceptions. You know, they're winning at least 70% of the time in the lead after 5, most of them in the 80% range, some of them in the 90% range, and a few teams undefeated in that scenario. So again, basically all I'm trying to illustrate here is that generally speaking, teams with a lead after five innings will win the game. It's 83% of the time. So, you know, again, do you want to give up that 10 to 15 cents? And furthermore, you know, let's say you take the first five. Well, 17% of the time, the team that's trailing going into the sixth winds up winning the game. So maybe that's, you know, something that you get fortunate with in a full game standpoint, especially if you've gone through and handicapped the bullpens. You know, and I've done that quite a bit in the past where I'll look at a team and say, okay, their primary relievers are not available. They're going to have trouble if they have a lead in this game or if this game is tied close in the late innings, something like that. You know, you can even play run lines based on that as well. You know, if you've got a favorite that you like, something like that, and you know that the other team is going to rest its primary relievers if they're trailing, like how Milwaukee never uses Hayter or Williams when they're behind in a game, maybe you take that minus one and a half. Maybe play some alternate run line stuff, knowing that lesser caliber relievers are going to come in and close those games out. So as far as looking at some regression candidates here with the lead after five innings, the Yankees should get better. The Rays should get better. The Royals, the Twins should definitely get better. They're struggling in this department. Uh, Probably the Mariners and the Rockies, albeit to a lesser degree. Some negative regression candidates here. The Blue Jays, you know, they have a great record with a lead after five at 13 and one. That could regress a little bit. The A's are undefeated. 
The Nationals are undefeated. The Cardinals, as I mentioned, at 18-0. So these are teams that are well above the 83% average. Sample sizes are small here still at this point in time. But this is also a good metric for you to look at to see how often a team is leading after the first five innings. Some teams are just great first five bets. Other teams are not. You know, for example, you look at a team here like the Giants. You know, they've had the lead after five innings 20 times already here so far this season. The White Sox have had the lead 22 times after five innings. Whereas a team like Tampa Bay, well, they've only had the lead after five innings 12 times. Seattle 14 times. The Nationals only eight times. So these are things that you can take a look at, whether you want to play a first five, whether you want to consider a first five, whether you just want to compare with the full game. So I got a lot of helpful stuff there with regards to first five betting. So again, like I said, I think the primary takeaway here is that everybody remembers the bad beats. You know, you think about the poker table and you think about you know, the movie quote from uh, Matt Damon, you know, as, as, as Mike McDermott and Rounders. You know, you remember the bad beats with stunning accuracy. You don't remember the things that got you there to begin with. So everybody remembers what happens when the bullpen blows it, but nobody remembers when the bullpen does its job. And 83% of the time, at least this season, and on average, typically 80 to 82% of the time, the bullpen will do its job. So maybe those are the things that we should focus on a little bit more instead. I wanted to look at some pitchers that have been unlucky on low-velocity contact here so far. Now, when you look around the league, batting average on batted balls of 90 miles per hour or lower, 213 with a 198 weighted on base average. So it's a very big range, obviously, anything 90 or below. But, you know, the hard hit rate is calculated by batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour. So going 90 or under, some guys that have had some bad luck here so far, Brad Keller being number one on the list, he has a 390 batting average against on batted balls of 90 miles per hour or lower. Max Freed, 321. Michael Pineda, 316. Lance Lynn, 313. Riley Smith for the Diamondbacks, 311. Logan Webb, a guy that I'm buying a lot of stock in here at this point in time, 308. Jesus Lazardo, 302. So these are guys that, you know, they've done pretty well in terms of generating some weak contact, but they have not had good outcomes on those batted balls. So those are guys that should be in line for a little bit of positive aggression, at least in this one category. Now, on the flip side, guys that have been lucky on high-velocity contact, and I think this is a lot more telling of a statistic here. And again, by high-velocity contact, I mean batted balls of 95-plus miles per hour. Alex Wood, 259 batting average. Taiwan Walker, 271. Michael Pineda, 300. Tyler Anderson, 317. Lance McCullers, 326. Kevin Gaussman, 333, and Jack Flaherty, who actually pitches today, 349. Now, keep in mind, the league batting average on batted balls of 95 miles per hour or higher is actually 482. So you got some guys that are well below that, specifically Alex Wood and Taiwan Walker. And Walker is a guy I'm actively looking to fade. I uh, didn't do it yesterday, uh, but he is a guy that I'm actively looking to fade here. Because you look at his Woba minus X Woba, you look at a lot of the metrics that he has, and they do suggest quite a bit of negative regression. As I said, hopefully the show coming across okay here today. I uh, don't really have all the stuff I need, and, and that's on me, and I apologize for that. Uh, but, you know, just a, a lot of stuff going on here this week for me. We're almost to the quarter point of the season. So what stands out to Adam Burke, the host of the Betters Box? 
Well, the baseball for sure. And this is something I've talked about. I've belabored this point a ton. It's been a, a source of frustration for me, to say the least. The baseball playing dramatically different has had a very negative impact on my handicapping, on my process, on the stats that I like to use. So it's led to a very, very bad baseball season for me here so far this year. But also because of the baseball and the depressed run environment, it's been the year of the underdog. You know, there's a lot of parity around Major League Baseball right now. And we're starting to see teams kind of find their level a little bit. The bad teams are kind of getting worse. The good teams, with the exception of the Dodgers, are kind of finding their strides a little bit here. But you know, this lower run environment that's created a better in a better situation, really, for underdogs, for teams that don't have great pitching, that don't have great hitting, because lower scoring games have a lower amount of variance to them. So what happens is, you know, when you've got a game that's a total of seven or, or something like that, or even a six and a half that's out there, you know, even the worst teams in baseball average three and a half, three point seven five runs per game in a usual season. So they can win those four to three types of games. Whereas with the way that the baseball used to be, and I saw Matthew Pouliot tweet this, uh, I think earlier this morning, that you know when you look at the average slash line in Major League Baseball in 2019, and slash line is batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage, there's not a single team that's at what was the league slugging percent, the league average slugging percentage in 2019. The Astros are right below it. It was 435, I think. Astros at 434, and there's only a handful of teams above the batting average. So you've got the league average in 2019, and the top of the market for Major League Baseball in 2021 can't even get to that league average slash line. So it's been a very different kind of baseball season here, and one that has created a very conducive environment for the underdogs that are out there. One other thing, too, and this is something I did pick up on uh, over the offseason, and something that has continued uh, to be the new normal, the platoon advantage is dead for left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers. Uh, the lowest batting average ever after the lowest batting average ever last season, the lowest slugging percentage since 2014. So lefties are not having nearly as much success against righties anymore. A big part of that having to do with, you know, the, the deadened baseball, but also pitch usage has really changed. Uh, teams have really tried to focus on getting rid of that platoon advantage for their pitchers. So that's, Something that's a pretty big takeaway for me is that, you know, it wasn't just a fluke last year in the small sample size. It's actually something that appears to be here to stay. Sabermetric stats of the show are going to talk about some of the plate discipline metrics that are out there. And you can find all of these uh, on the player and the team and the league pages over at Fangraphs. But I talk about these a lot in my write-ups over at ATS.io. So I want to talk about them here on today's show. O swing percentage is outside the zone swing percentage. It's how often do hitters chase pitches outside of the zone. And this can be a really important thing for pitchers because if you're getting swings and misses outside the zone, not only is that a good thing because swings and misses are always important, but it also shows that hitters are chasing against you. And furthermore, it shows that you have an increased margin for error because you can throw pitches that aren't in the zone and actually get those swings. And something else, too, you know, you think about the strike zone and you think about where hitters tend to have success. Well, if you're swinging at things that are outside the zone, they're hard to reach, they're low, they're high. You don't get a lot of quality contact on pitches that are outside the zone. So that's a really important metric for a lot of pitchers out there. And you'll typically see the high strikeout guys with high O swing percentage marks in the 34 to 35% range 
something like that. I think league average around 30%, 31%, something like that. So it is an important stat to show that the stuff quality is good, but also that you can induce some weak contact by getting guys to chase outside the zone. Z swing percentage, that's percentage of pitches swung at in the strike zone. Obviously, you know, if you've got a, uh, a lower zone swing percentage, it means that your stuff is pretty good. You're sequencing well. You're painting corners. Guys aren't, you know, taking swings because they're good pitches. So that's a metric you can also take a look at here. Swing percentage is simply percentage of pitches swung at. O contact percentage, percentage of pitches outside the strike zone with contact made by the hitter. Zone contact percentage, Z contact percentage, that's a really important stat because you know, I talk about margin for error with getting chases, but if you can get swings and misses on pitches in the zone that would be strikes anyway, that's really good. And this is a number where typically zone contact percentage up in the 87, 88% range for a lot of guys. So if you see somebody in the low 80s, that's really good. If you see somebody in the low 90s, that's not good at all. Zone percentage, percentage of pitches thrown in the strike zone. Does the guy have good control? Is he throwing strikes? That's an important number to be sure. F strike percentage is first pitch strike percentage. That's a very important one to me because when you look at batting splits, the difference between a 1-0 count and an 0-1 count to start a plate appearance is very significant. Strike one, a very, very important pitch to say the least. And then finally, SWSTR percentage is swinging strike percentage. So that's percentage of total pitches with a swing and a miss. League average for this is, I think, in the 10.5% range for starters now uh, with all the increased swings and misses that we've seen here so far. Could be a little bit higher than that. But anybody up in that 12, 13 plus percent range, that's really, really good. Anything in single digits, not so good there when it comes to swinging strike percentage. So I think it's helpful to look at these to understand the quality of a pitcher's stuff. You can kind of create some matchup-based handicapping angles as well. Do you have a free-swinging team with a guy that induces a lot of swing and miss outside the zone? Well, those are really important types of matchups and things that you can take a deeper look at here. Quickly, we'll go down the lines, look at some line moves. And to be honest with you, I have not followed the market as closely uh, over the last 48 hours as I usually do. So just some quick notes that I kind of came across here uh, this morning, last night and this morning. Tuesday, we saw money on JT Brubaker for the Pirates. That was against the Reds. Uh, look, Brubaker's getting steamed pretty much every time out. This one was against Jeff Hoffman. Uh, Brubaker's taking money. He's about the only Pirates pitcher reliably taking money. The market does kind of like Tyler Anderson a little bit, but then the Pirates lines are moving against them with anybody else on the mound. Eric Fetty took money on Tuesday against the Phillies and Chase Anderson. Phillies did win that game, but... Man, anytime a pitcher as bad as Eric Fetty is taking money, that's something that very much uh, you know, just winds up on my radar, to say the least here. Lance McCullers took money against Shohei Otani on Tuesday night. Otani actually pitched really, really well in that game. But McCullers is a guy that the market does like. There are some influential people that do like Lance McCullers quite a bit this season. And also people looking to fade Otani's high walk rate and the fact that the Astros, the top team in baseball at making contact, although it didn't really help them a whole lot against Otani there. We've seen Shane Bieber money in back-to-back -back starts now for the Indians. And there was a period where there was not Shane Bieber's steam, but now there is again. So apparently the market kind of buying into the Indians' offense just a little bit here. I figured they might take a little bit of money when I saw where that line opened for tonight's game with Zach Plesak and Chris Flexen out in Seattle. Uh, but it's actually been Mariners' money in that one, which is kind of a surprise to me. 
but it does feel like some people out there are betting on the Indians a little bit. Wednesday, as I talked about already, Brubaker is the only guy taking money for the Pirates. So it was Sonny Gray and uh, Trevor Cahill in that one, and money did come in to make the Reds a bigger favorite. Money came in on Brandon Woodruff in the game against John Gant and the Cardinals. Gant is a negative regression candidate. Not really a big surprise to see that one. Saw Danny Duffy money on Wednesday against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, the Tigers are bad in every facet of the game and the market, betting pretty heavily against them more often than not. The Indians took money on Wednesday as well, and that was an interesting one with Sam Hentges uh, against Zach Davies. So the market does seem to like the Indians a little bit, but then, of course, today, uh, money coming in on the Mariners. Thursday here so far, we've seen some early money on Corbin Burns and his return against the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm not keen on the Cardinals, and it doesn't look like the market is either. So this may be a fade team for the uh, consensus opinion out there where people are betting against the Cardinals a little bit, or it could just be liking Woodruff and Burns. But I, I tend to think it kind of has something to do with a little bit of an anti-Cardinals sentiment in the marketplace. Trevor Rogers and the Marlins taking money against Arizona tonight. That's not a big surprise. Rogers has been terrific. Are the Tigers taking money today with Spencer Turnbull on the hill, Daniel Lynch going for the Royals. Lynch, of course, gave up eight runs uh, in less than an inning in his second start as a major leaguer against the Chicago White Sox last week. Uh, so we'll see what happens there with that one. As I mentioned, money coming in on the Mariners today to fade the Indians a little bit. And, you know, that's a game of interest to me, obviously, as an Indians fan, but also because the Indians have only played Central Division teams on the road or the Reds. So that short trip down I-71, now they're crossing three time zones, going out to play Seattle, first legitimate road trip, uh, you know, that far west since 2019. Kind of curious to see what happens with them a little bit in this one. And that is my pick for tonight is the under in the Indians and Mariners game. There were still some stray eights when I was putting together my notes this morning. I'm not sure if that's still the case. Probably a lot of seven and a halfs out there now. Uh, but please sack and flexing. Neither pitcher walks, guys. A lot of ground balls here. Mariners have a fly ball heavy offensive style. Kind of disagree with the move on the Mariners, to be totally honest with you. But I think the under is probably the safer look in that game. There are a lot of unfamiliarity between the Indians and the Mariners uh, in this matchup where the Mariners have never seen Zach Plesak and the Indians have not seen Chris Flexen either. So with that, we go to a weekend preview here and we take a look at that Indians and Mariners series. Plesak and Flexen, Aaron Savale and Logan Gilbert as the Mariners finally calling some guys up now. Uh, Kalenic's come up now, and I apologize if I butchered his name there. Gilbert's up. Uh, you've got to think that Julio Rodriguez will be up here at some point in time too. So nice to see the Mariners kind of injecting a little bit of life into that ball club. So Logan Gilbert gets the start on Friday. Uh, Tristan McKenzie and Justice Sheffield, a couple, couple former Indians farmhands getting together on Saturday, and then Shane Bieber listed for Sunday against To Be Determined. But as I've said, I'm curious to see what happens with the Indians here. First non-AL Central or Cincinnati road trip of the season. Long way to go. Legit time change. I can tell you from having traveled quite a bit over the last four weeks, jet lag and time changes are very real things. So we'll see how the Indians perform there at T-Mobile Park. But something else concerning really about both of these teams, a very high percentage of their runs have been scored via the home run. T-Mobile Park does have a humidor now but it hasn't really had a substantial impact uh, on offense to this point. So a couple teams that live and die with the home run, maybe we see some lower scoring games here, especially I think tonight. And then also tomorrow uh, when the Mariners get Aaron Savale 
who's also inducing a lot of ground balls so far this season. Mets and the Rays. David Peterson, Tyler Glass now on Friday. Joey Lucchese, Shane McClanahan on Saturday. Marcus Stroman and Ryan Yarborough on Sunday. Could see Luis Patino open up for Yarborough. I think that will be the case. But I'm buying a lot of Yarborough stock, as you know. I like him quite a bit. Also like Stroman. So Sunday, I won't be doing the article, but probably going to be an underlook for me in that one. I will say, though, the Mets are starting to put it together a little bit here. They'll have a designated hitter in this series so they can put another bat in the lineup. Uh, tough to fade the, the Mets here, I think, in this series, even though they're facing some pretty legit pitching from the Rays with Glasnow, McClanahan, and then Yarbrough and Patino in all likelihood. So should be a good series there to be sure. Lastly here for today's show, the Cardinals and the Padres. Johan Oviedo and Joe Musgrove on Friday. Adam Wainwright, Chris Paddock on Saturday. Kwang Hyung Kim and Ryan Weathers on Sunday. Long trip for the Cardinals here, too. And also, that Sunday game is Sunday night baseball. So we'll see what happens there with that start for them. Uh, you know, But interesting series because I think the Padres are a positive regression team. I think the Cardinals are a negative regression team. Probably going to look to play on the Padres here for this weekend set at Petco Park. So as I said, I realized things sounding different. Hopefully the, uh, the Wi-Fi here held up. Hopefully everything comes across clear on today's show. Monday's show will be the same way. Maybe I can find uh, some sort of better way to do this by then. But you know, want to make sure I got a show out here for Thursday. So uh, just bear with me here with that. Things will get back to normal for the most part uh, next week over at ATS.io. But hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you got some good nuggets of information out of it. Uh, it's always great to chat with you guys. And again, if you want to get on the list for the Betters Box Notes, Skating Tripods, at gmail.com is the way to get on that list. I'll be back again on Monday with another edition of the Betters Box. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the Betters Box.